How we doing? Man, it's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being online with us and joining in. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to December. Welcome to the creek. Uh, I know it uh, feels like this year has flown by for some, and for some it's like you're ready to get it done, and it feels like it's been the slowest year ever, but either way, we're in December, and it's on, right? And so you better get your shopping done. Now, otherwise, uh, you'll have to tell people on Christmas Day that it's sitting in a shipping container off the coast of California. And uh, so <laughs> it's wrapped up beautifully, honey. It's just in a steel box. We just got to get it to you. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're in the process. We're in, right in the middle of everything with our loft, uh, finishing that upstairs. And we've been working on contracts and things like that. And I just want to thank you all for already giving so generously to that. Uh, it's amazing. We're going to go ahead and uh, get everything lined up and, and hopefully start in February or March. And um, so it's, it's awesome. So continue with your generosity. It's good stuff. Uh, we're in a series called I Am. We're working through the I Am statements that Jesus made about himself uh, in the book of John. And so if you got your Bible, go to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this weekend. And uh, John 11, I love John 11. And uh, John 11 is a, is, a, is a passage and a chapter that, that really just works its way into, into every uh, funeral message that I do because Jesus makes this, this, this statement about himself that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, I just want to spend this weekend unpacking that and set some context for you. Uh, but uh, what's going on is Jesus has, a, has some friends, uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're connected. Uh, they're close. And Jesus and Lazarus are good friends. Uh, you'll see Mary and Martha throughout scripture and uh, especially in Jesus's ministry. And uh, Lazarus gets sick. And when Jesus finds out about his illness, Jesus makes a statement in John eleven four. 4, he says, this illness does not lead to death, but this is happening for the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And, and uh, you know, the disciples are a little concerned. Jesus is only two miles away, and he, he delays in getting there. When he finds that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't go immediately. And uh, when he finds out he passed, he didn't go immediately, and and. Uh, I wrestle with some things through this that God really just showed me over the last several years and, and how his character is and his heart for us. Uh, but eventually Jesus shows up and he goes, he goes to the, the, the village where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived and Lazarus is dead and, and Jesus rolls in and, and it says this, verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Martha is, the, is seen in Luke chapter 10 as the busybody. There's a scene where, where Jesus is at their house and Martha's running around the kitchen cooking and, and she's busy and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and they kind of have a little squabble and Martha said to Jesus, like, tell her to help me. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to tell her. She's chosen the best thing to sit at my feet. And so we see Martha as a busybody, but also someone that's not afraid to engage Jesus going, you got to do something here. And she runs out. Mary stays in the house, and Martha runs out to him. And, and that statement that she makes, Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. She's been honest with him. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how many times we can, we can be angry at God, but we take it out on God instead of taking it to God. I mean, this, this was early on in my ministry. I remember a, 
a situation where I'd gotten a phone call that uh, one of the students in my ministry was being uh, rushed to the hospital. And, and the receptionist for the church called and said, you need to go to this hospital. You need to get there as soon as you can. And so I start driving. And she calls me and she says, you need to reroute. You need to go to Cook Children's. They're air flighting her to Cook Children's. And you need, to, you need to get there as fast as you can. So I turn around and I start heading that direction. And then I get a call a few minutes later. And she says, go to the original hospital. She didn't make it. And that really was the, the, the first time in stepping into ministry of dealing with loss and, and pain and walking with a family through pain. And uh, I remember driving and I was so angry at God. And I remember just pounding my steering wheel and, and just crying out to God, why did you do this? Knowing that, that I'm going to walk in to see a family on the worst moment they could ever imagine. And I'm, just, I'm screaming at God. And, and, and I'm pounding the steering wheel. And I just felt God's calm come over me. And he said, it's all right. He said, I know you're angry. But I need you to always do something for me. When you're angry with me, bring it to me. Don't take it out on me. Because how many times do we give the silent treatment? You know, you get in a fight with your spouse, you get in a fight with your kids, you get in a fight with somebody, and you do the silent treatment, you just kind of move through life like. We do that with God too. God does something we don't like. And instead of going to him and saying, God, I, I need to press into you and I want to ask you some tough questions. I want to know where you were. I want to know why this happened. I need your help in this. We just, we just, we don't do anything. But if we don't go to God, we're never going to get the revelation. I think in, in those moments, those hard moments, Jesus is calling us to press into him. He's big enough. He created us. He created our emotions. He created every part of us. He knows the innermost part of our being. And he says, bring that to me. And so I love how Martha is just honest with him and just said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Because she's recognizing the power of God. She's recognizing the authority that Jesus had. And, and Martha is just she, she just, she's looking for help. And Jesus begins a conversation with her. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I mean, she's looking at a future event. She's looking, she's looking out. And, and Jesus is gonna bring her into the now. Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not speaking of a future event. I'm asking you to focus right here, right now. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? I don't think that this is a contradicting statement. You know, I struggle with this, that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then everyone who lives in, and believes in me shall never die. And I wrestled with this for many years um, because I, I can take Martha's perspective, right? Like, okay, I believe in you, Jesus. I've, I've trusted you as my Lord and my Savior. So, so when I die, I will live. I will live eternally with you. And then, but Jesus says, but even though he believes in me and he lives, he shall not die. And what do you mean by this, Jesus? And I, I really have to look at, at the context of Scripture when Paul writes to the church in Corinth in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and he's talking about this tent, this body, that you and I have this body that is temporal. 
And this body that is, is temporal is sown in the ground by death, and it is raised eternal. And, and what's a, a beautiful thing about that is, is as this body groans and as this body gives out, and it, it eventually the body gives way to death, my spirit, my soul, the spirit that gave birth to spirit within me when I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I don't experience the death. My body will. And the people that I leave behind will have to grieve. Well, maybe they'll grieve. I don't know. They might celebrate like ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. I don't know. But, uh, but they're, they're, they'll grieve and they got, they'll have to figure out how to get on without me, but I'm going to be at home in glory. And, and, and this, what, what I believe in this is that Jesus, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he, he's got the power over the, the death. And this resurrection power is the resurrecting power. And, and he looks at Martha, he squares off with her just because she's going to be honest with him, right? And if we're going to be honest with God, we've got to re- realize God's going to be honest with us back. He's going to be direct with us. If we're going to be direct with him, he's going to be direct with us. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am have control over life. I have control over death. Do you believe this? What he's asking her is looking at her is going, do you trust me? In the middle of your, your darkest moment, in the pain that you're experiencing, do you trust me? And Martha looks at him and she said, yes, Lord. Now notice how she answers. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She was not answering a question about life and death. She was answering the question based on the identity, kingship, and lordship of Jesus Christ who was standing in front of her, locking eyes with her, saying, do you trust me? Martha answered the real question. Martha could see through the pain, and her faith was strong because she said, if you would have been here, my brother, brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha is in pain and she's hurting, but her faith is strong. What she's saying is, you could have healed him. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I still believe that you're God and you're good. And that's an important declaration for us in hard moments. When we have those dark nights of the soul, when we struggle with things, when we're struggling with the reality of life and we feel like life is closing in on us and the darkness seems to be creeping in, we have to make those declarations. God, I don't like this, but I know you're here and I believe you're good and I'm gonna stand on your faithfulness. I'm gonna, you have to be able to make those declarations in those moments. And we have to be able to declare, Jesus, you said it and I believe it. You are the resurrection and the life. And we start breaking down, what, what does that mean for Jesus to say, I'm the resurrection life? Because resurrection is life. And what, what we see about the character and the power of Jesus is that he is Lord over life and he's Lord over death. Because he alone can say, if anyone believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And if he believes in me and lives, he'll never die. That's because Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the, the, I love how Colossians puts it. He is the preeminent one, that Jesus is the supremacy of God. He's the authority over life and the authority over death. In all things, Jesus is preeminent. When we see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There is no one who existed that hasn't existed out of Him. He was the firstborn of all creation. 
existent in the, in the very beginning. He is preexistent before creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. So he's the firstborn of all life. And then Colossians verse 1 verse 18 would go on and say he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In that everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent just means he has the power and the authority and he is superior in all creation. And this, this uh, firstborn from the dead, Jesus, Jesus is not the first person to be raised from the dead. But he's the most important person to be raised from the dead. Because without his resurrection, without his resurrection, there can be no resurrection of others. We don't have a hope of a resurrection without Jesus. And this, these, these two, two phrases that Paul uses in Colossians, born and dead, seem to oppose each other. But when you look at Jesus and his resurrection, I believe this, the tomb was a womb that Jesus emerged from in victory. We tend to look at, at the grave as, as the, the finality, right? That that's the end. That's where, that's where it all goes. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us because he has authority over that. And, and he has authority through his resurrection. So when he says, do you believe this? Do you trust me? There's hope in that. And there's assurance in his power. And when we, when we look at him... We bring all these other questions to him, but he's really asking, do you believe I am who I say I am? And do you believe I can do what I say I can do? And when we answer like Martha, we, we move those questions aside and we answer the question based on who he is and his lordship and his kingship and his dominion and his power over all creation. Then that belief changes some perspectives immediately. That belief, that faith that happens when we place it in Christ as Lord over death and Lord over life. It changes our perspective on death. I, 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 I think of uh, in this passage, you know, all this is going on and Lazarus is, he, he's, he's, he says he's been in the tomb for four days, but you know what that means? He's been in heaven for four days. And I think about this passage from Lazarus's perspective. He got sick and then he's in the presence of God. I mean, he's like, I am experiencing the glory that faith reveals. When Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death, but this has happened so that God may be glorified and the Son of Man may be glorified through this, he's experiencing the fullness of that glory. I mean, when Jesus, Jesus calls him out of the tomb, he shows back up, he's like, what? I, the, you ever had that, like, been asleep and you're having just this awesome dream, like maybe you're, you're on the beach and the weather's perfect, palm trees are swaying, the breeze is going and the ocean sounds great and you're just laying there and this is the this is like a this dream feels so real and all of a sudden you're snapped back to reality. That's exactly what's happened to Lazarus. He's like, wait, whoa, 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 guys, come on. I mean, I'm sure he looked at Martha. Did you do this? Did you talk to Jesus? I'm not helping you with another project. I was home. I was good. <laughs> you know, think about that from his perspective. Four days in the tomb. He was four days in heaven. When you look at what it, what it says in verse 39, I'm gonna jump over here for, for a second. It says, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha said, said that Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, he's been in the, he's, by this time he's been in there four days and there's gonna be an odor. Uh, <laughs> Lazarus like, hey, leave the stink there. I was, at, I was at home, man. And then in verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
Lazarus is like, yeah, I saw it. I'd like to go back there. So that's, that's a perspective that Lazarus has on death. My perspective, let me give you my perspective. I'll take my perspective from 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy to me. I will fight it until my last breath. You know, as, 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 when you face things, you go to the doctor and our, our mortality is really put in front of our face, you know, and, but I will continue to fight. I will continue to fight to live. And so my perspective is death is an enemy, but listen, death has already been defeated because Jesus is my Lord and he is the authority over death. So I don't fear it. I don't fear death. I'm not afraid of it because it's simply a, a door that I will pass through that this body's going to experience death. But man, as soon as that happens, I get to see God's perspective of death. Because God speaks of it differently. In Psalm 116, 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What, is it? what does that mean? It's a homecoming. And God, is, he, he sees us and he knows our heartaches and he, he's involved with our hurts and he's involved with everything we go through. And, but when he sees this happen, he says, this, I get one of my kids home. And it's a homecoming. And he says, it's, I look at it from a totally different perspective. And Paul would, would share with us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. He said to be absent, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's, it's not like, you know, I go into this this other place and I wait for this resurrection there'll be a resurrection in the last day where the bodies will come up and we'll get glorified bodies but listen as soon as we draw our last breath here we're in the presence of God I mean even Jesus said it to the criminal hanging beside him on the cross the criminal said we're we're justly accused we, we have wronged we, we are wrong we deserve to be here but this man does not and he, look, look at how he calls on the name. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him. He says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know what I love about the power that Jesus has over life and death and even to forgive us? Because we get into so many weird things and conversations about salvation. And we create so many legalist rules around Religion, when Jesus says it's a relationship, you call out to me for a relationship and it happens. And it's amazing how we in the church sometimes can put all these hurdles in front of somebody. But Jesus didn't, he, he said, today you'll be with me. You called on the name of Jesus and I am the authority over life and the authority over death and today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't tell him, well, will you, did you ever give at church? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't look at him and go, ah, you didn't get baptized Tell you what, if you can figure out how to get out of this, go get baptized, then today you'll be with me in paradise. Tell you what, if, you, if you'll go serve, you, you see where we put all these things and these hoops for people to jump through. No, it's simply calling on the name of Jesus by faith. He pours his grace on us, and he declares us righteous because his blood that he was paying for our sin while he was on that cross had the authority to look at a criminal who stands rightly accused and offer forgiveness and pardon and life. That's the perspective God has. Ultimately, our faith leads into this perspective of looking at death and life so differently because Paul would say to live 
is Christ and to die is gain. So I'm convinced, my perspective of death, I'm convinced it's an enemy and I'll fight it, but I'm convinced that the only thing it can do to my life is make it eternally better. You know, we say these quippy sayings sometimes, like, well, how are you doing? I'm all right. Well, it's better than the alternative. For me, the alternative is perfection. The alternative is the glory of God, the presence of God, my eternal home. Nah, this is not better than the alternative. The alternative is, is eternally, exponentially better than what I'm doing now. To die is gain. But it also, faith, also changes our perspective on life. To live is Christ. That, that's, what, that's the faith that we declare, that when we place our life in Christ, we are to live in Christ. To die is gain, to live is Christ. Which means he has a purpose for us greater than we can manufacture or create. And this purpose for our life extends beyond a job, it extends beyond what school we go to, and we get so hung up on these things. But God has this purpose that he's created for us, and ultimately that purpose is to reflect the life that he is Lord over. That was you and I move through life, and we go through our mundane and even our daily activities, we move with his purpose, because through that faith, through that life, that's how we see the glory of God. Because Jesus told Martha, remember verse 40, he said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Well, Lazarus got to experience the glory of God. Martha got to see the glory of God in action through Jesus engaging in her situation. You and I, when we live our life for the glory of God, we see the glory of God moving in us and through us. That we see God do incredible things through, through me and through us, broken people, people who cannot meet perfection, but yet he chooses because of his grace to do something through us, and we see the glory of God at work in the world around us. It's an amazing thing to be a part of that I realized I'm not good enough to do these things. I'm not, I can't manufacture these things that God is working and I see his glory at work. And it just, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a wave. It just keeps building in momentum and we see more and more of the glory of God and we start complaining about the world and complaining about society and complaining about all these things. And yet we're, we're complaining at that in the face of the wave of the glory of God sweeping over us. That as we can go into difficult situations and hard times with the glory of God being evident around us, it's a powerful thing. And we get to see that. And this, Jesus is not just the resurrection. He said, I'm the Lord of life. I'm the life, the resurrection and the life. So we've got some living to do now. And I I love how Jesus is involved in our life. Too many times we, th- we go through something and we think, well, Jesus, you're two miles off or you're not paying attention or you're, just, you're, just, you're not engaging. When Jesus shows up, he engages. And I lo- you go on in the rest of the story and the, the shortest verse in all of the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. He is fully engaged in our emotions, in our trials and our struggles, and listen, Jesus weeps. I, we see the character of God here. You might have grown up with this image of God that he's this 
this distant God that he just, he, he's, he's not loving and he's very stoic and it's like, you've got to get yourself right before you can come to me and we, he just, I'm at a distance and he's uninvolved and, and he really doesn't really care about the details and the minute things of our life. But in two words, we see the character and the heart of God towards us because he feels with us. It's not that Jesus is like, I want to know what loss feels like. From the foundation of the world, Jesus is the lamb slain. You've got to understand God exists outside of time. We live in it. I mean, we, we live in a tube. God sees the whole thing from, from, from beginning to end. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And he's already experienced the loss before he ever started creation. So he knows what it's like to feel lost. But we see him involved in our daily struggles. We see him engaging on a personal level and an emotional level. And then what you have in, in, in the rest of this passage is Mary coming to Jesus. She, she finally comes out and the people thought she was gonna go to the tomb and, and mourn there, but they followed her out and she sees Jesus. She says the same thing. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus weeps with them and and then some looked at the scene going on and said, well, that's, that's Jesus. He healed others, but he couldn't heal Lazarus? I mean, how many times do we limit the power of God based on our expectations? Well, he could heal. So maybe his healing power doesn't work here. It just works there. Maybe, they, no, no, they're, they're missing the point. What happens is Jesus stands in front of the tomb and in verse 41, they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, he gave this simple prayer. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, listen to this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus didn't have to do anything. Jesus could have sat with him going, this is hard, this is tough. But Jesus steps in front of this tomb in a simple prayer. And he says, Father, I'm praying this prayer so that the people may see your glory. But most of all, that they will believe that just as Jesus looked at Martha and said, do you believe this? Do you trust me? Jesus gets in our space. And what he does is so that we may believe that he is sent for a purpose. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come out of that grave. Come out of where you are. Come out of the darkness. Come out. And Lazarus comes out and he's, he's bound up in the, in the death shrouds and the, the burial clothes. And Jesus says, get those off of him. Death can't shroud the living. And what I love about the power and authority that we see in Jesus is not only does he command us and call us to life, but he frees us from the bonds of death. This is freedom. This isn't just existing. This is moving through life knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord over life and over death and calls us to walk in that life and removes all of it from us and says, keep walking, keep walking. 
He's calling us to live free and live free from the sting of death, which is sin and the bonds of death. And Jesus is Lord. And I just put the same question to you that he puts to them. Do you believe this? Do you trust? Do you trust him as Lord over life? And do you trust him as Lord even over death because his resurrection power shows that death has to submit to the king. I choose to believe it. Father, we love you and we thank you that you hear us. You always hear us. And Father, I am praying this to you so that people will believe that you sent Jesus to call us out of death and into life. The same command that you gave Lazarus, Jesus, is the same command that you give us. Come out. And we simply do that. We enter into life with you just by a declaration of belief that you are the resurrection and the life. And we call on you, Jesus, to say we believe this and I'm asking you to bring life to me right now. God, for those that have never stepped into the life that Jesus offers, that in this moment where your, where your glory is moving and your power is moving, I pray right now that there's a declaration of faith to simply say, Jesus, I'm asking you for life over the death. You're calling me and I surrender to you as my Lord. Lead me in life that is unbound from death so that I may see your glory and live for your glory and spend eternity in your glory. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love y'all.